so good to worship together. Uh, glad that you're here. And uh, we're in our second week of the series. We started last week in, in the Gospel of John. But as we get there, uh, in fact, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's John chapter 2 is where we'll be. If you are looking for a Bible, there might be one in the seat underneath, uh, underneath the seat in front of you. It's page 751, if you don't know where that's at. Uh, but we're thrilled to have you here. Anyone ever had one of those moments? You're like, what moment? You know the moment like where you have a bunch of people over and like you're working on like throwing a party and then like there's an uh-oh moment, a snafu if you will, something that doesn't go as planned. Uh, a few years back we had uh, a group of people over on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Big deal, big deal. And uh, we got a bunch of people coming and then my brother uh, is there and he decides to make wings. How many of you are a fan of wings? Okay, big deal, this is awesome, great. And, but something happened in the oven. I don't know fully what happened, but I did see flames when we opened the oven and smoke was billowing out and filling the whole downstairs of the house. And the smell, it just wasn't pretty. And so it's wafting through and all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh, I'm glad. Um, and I, I don't know, the smoke is just kind of fill, the, filling the whole side. We kind of open up all the windows and the sliding glass door. We got fans going, trying to, but for the whole first half, of the game. It's like this. And as the host, you're like, oh, oh no. And there's like this embarrassment side. And there's like, I, 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 you're just trying to do everything to, lim to limit the damage, kind of damage control. Anyone ever had a moment like that at your house? I'm alone. Oh no, okay, Will, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you've had mistakes too. So, um, so uh, you know, this idea of something like that, but we're going to be looking into a story tonight uh, that Jesus shows up in the midst of this celebration and there's a snafu, an uh-oh moment that happens at this celebration. It's a big, big deal, even bigger than just embarrassment of what's going on. And John begins to write about that story in John chapter two. And what he's gonna record is Jesus's very first miracle that he records in his gospel account of Jesus's life. And, and he's gonna call it a sign. What's interesting as you read through the Gospel of John that we're going to walk our way through is he doesn't use the word miracle. Uh, the other Gospel writers will use that word, but he uses the word sign. And the Greek word for sign is like this token, this sign that delineates someone from the rest of what's happening around, meaning that these are to be a signpost to you, if you will to say, this person is different. He is set apart. And what you're witnessing, what you're seeing is profound and significant and incredible. A miracle, but it's a sign to point you to the one who does the miracle and that you don't get lost in just seeing the miracle and going, hey, that's pretty cool that that happened. But he's trying to drive you to somewhere. He's trying to help you see Jesus. Jesus is the biggest deal of the whole gospel of John. Remember, that's what he wrote about. The very first part, what we looked at last week. So if, if you missed, I invite you to catch up uh, through the app if you want and, and catch that. Because John's saying, look, 
Jesus is painting this profound portrait of him as the divine son who's come to earth to reveal God the Father and to bring about eternal life to all who believe in him. And toward the end of his gospel, he writes, here's the reason I've written this whole account. Here's the reason I've written all this down so that you may know. Remember uh, John 20, verse 30 to 31, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs, Miracles, things that pointed to him. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, by keeping believing in him, you may have life in his name. John's saying, here's the reason I wrote this, and I want you to get it. I want you to believe in him. And so, Jesus shows up at this celebration, and here's how it begins in John chapter 2, verse 1. The next day, they're kind of this story, stuff that's been unfolding in the rest, the last part of chapter 1 that we didn't look at. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, so Mary had some connection to this family, some connection to the celebration. She's there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, why is Jesus at a wedding? Do you ever think about that? Like, sometimes in our Western world, we look at this and go, look, Jesus, you got like three years to get your disciples trained, to work toward uh, the, the the cross and, uh, and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And like, these are intense times. Why are you wasting time, we might even say, going to a wedding, to a celebration? Well, why did Jesus go to the wedding? It's real simple. It's in verse two. It tells you. He was invited. Is that a big deal? Yeah. I think it's a really big deal, actually that people in a small town actually liked Jesus. That God Almighty didn't walk around all high and mighty. That the, the Holy One wasn't holier than thou. The one who knew it all wasn't a know-it-all. The one who created and owns all things on earth never strutted around like he did. I think it's a really big deal that Jesus was invited to a wedding because it meant people liked Jesus. Um, here's the killer question. Do people like you? Because the reality is, if, if we're meant to be more and more like Jesus, well, that means, like, here's the profound thing when you think about Jesus' life. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like him actually liked him and wanted to be around him. And the question for believers today, followers of Jesus today is, have we, do we ever get to a place where we're kind of holier than thou and, and we set ourselves apart and, and separate from 
and we actually walk around with a frown on our face, like we don't enjoy life at all. And this isn't about being extroverted or introverted or being a, a half, you know, a glass half empty or full type person. This is just the reality of, hey, can, can, you, can you be you? Can, can you be exciting? Can you be a person that people want to engage with? This isn't a license to say, look, we need to go engage in debauchery or drunkenness or compromise or obscenities. No, this is just saying, look, can you give yourself freedom to not take yourself so serious? Can you laugh at yourself? Like, can you enliven a party a little bit? Can you ask questions of people where you kind of get them talking about themselves? You get to ask questions and say, look, I want to be a part. It's not about being over the top extrovert. It's just saying, look, can we walk around and not be an uptight frown wearing prude? Because sometimes Christians get labeled that. And sometimes Christians actually do that. And they do that in a premise to say, look, I'm more and more like Jesus. Listen, Jesus didn't walk around with a frown on his face all the time. If you read through the gospel accounts, people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. Even if, I mean, that's part of what got him labeled from the religious leaders of the day is that he hung around with people who were not religious too much. That he hung around people that he was actually welcoming and compassionate, and open, and vulnerable, and in their life, and his life was open, and he was approachable. So can that be said of us, of you, and of me? Because we don't want to get to a place where we're never invited to a party. Can we just give ourselves permission not to take ourselves so seriously at times? And can we give ourselves permission to say, look, let's take an interest in people, so many times Christians are known for what they're against instead of who they're actually for. And so let's just be for people and let's have conversation. And again, you don't have to be an over-the-top extrovert. If you're an introvert, be an introvert, but just be a nice one. Don't be a jerk. That's kind of what this is saying. Jesus wasn't a jerk. So he got invited to the party. I hope you get invited to the party. I hope I get invited to the party. And so it's this reminder, hey, be open, be part of what Jesus is and what he's like. The story continues, it goes on, verse uh, three, the wine supply ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother, again, she has some connection to this. It's probably, uh, tradition says that Joseph, Jesus' father, is probably passed by this point. And uh, so Mary's there and she comes to him, hey, they have no more wine. Now, in our day, we would go, well, run to the store. Like, that's what you do, right? You send someone with a credit card or you send someone with the money and you go run to the store. Not so easy back then. He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. Could you imagine hearing that from Jesus? Now, we look at this at first pass, dear woman, and we kind of go, whoa, 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 this is your mom. Like, no, no, like, this is a, a term of endearment. Remember what he says from the cross? Woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And so this isn't one of those things that we read in our culture, like, whoa, you know, Jesus is dissing his mom. No, this isn't your mama joke or anything. This is just, hey, this isn't our problem. My time has not yet come. In Greek, it's this idea that it's, it's not my moment yet. 
but I love Jesus' mom. I love Mary. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And she walks away. How many of you have a mom that has done that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just do something. Okay, off we go. Uh, and Jesus is left there, and he responds. And this is what happens. A miracle is about ready to take place. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial cleansing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. So Jesus tells the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies, the host, who's hosting this party. Now, what you have to understand is that this party, um, how many of you have been to weddings before? How many of you, the wedding you went to started on the day and ended on that day? Maybe in the wee hours of the next day. But a Jewish wedding was often six to eight days long. What to what? Yeah. Like, when you went to a wedding, you were at the wedding for a long, long time. Okay? Like, you slept there, and, and the, the hospitality culture of the first century was a major, major deal. And so to run out of wine is a major snafu. It's not a little oops. It's a big, big deal. When the master of ceremonies tasted this water that was taken, that had now turned into wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first in this epic wedding that lasts six or seven days. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. There's something like, this doesn't happen. What I'm tasting right now is the best I've ever tasted. The miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Hospitality ruled the days and families were under significant social pressure to provide lavishly for their guests. And at some point the situation goes bad and the wine runs out. And in a culture of hospitality, this is no small thing. In fact, in records, lawsuits happened between guest and wedding party host because of snafus like this. So this isn't just a little simple thing. This is a huge embarrassment. And we don't really know the reason the wine ran out. Was, was there too many people that showed up? to the wedding? Uh, did someone not calculate right what they needed? Did the delivery truck not show up? We, we don't fully know the reason, but we know the consequence. A whole family is going to be ashamed. An entire event is going to have kind of a shadow over it of controversy. The family really needs help. So what do you do in that moment? Well, Mary says you just ask Jesus. Makes sense to her. What do you do in a moment like that? Well, you ask Jesus. So Mary brings the situation, do whatever he tells you, and, and a miracle begins to take place and begin to happen. How do you define a miracle? Well, Webster's kind of defines miracle as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. The Gospels record 35 different miracles, or as John says, different signs that point to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, each miracle is a sign intended to point people to the truth of who Jesus is. It's a really big deal. 
that John's trying to make a point here. Don't get caught up in the water to wine. That's pretty legit and it's pretty awesome. But don't lose the fact of who did it because that's what John's trying to get you to see. And don't miss the reality of what's going on here. Six stone water jars. That's not happenstance. Scholars have had different debates of what does that mean? What's the meaning behind that? I think it's fairly simple. Uh, in, In Jewish culture, you would use water to purify you from being contaminated from the world. And so before you would eat, as you just lived in life, at certain times you would put water over your hands and over your feet to wash yourself, to purify yourself. It was a a ritual, a tradition that they would do in six water jars that would hold 60 to, or hold uh, 20 to 30 gallons of water have already been used. That's why they're empty. Because the wedding has been going. The celebration has been unfolding. And standing there, Jesus says, use those and just fill them up with water. Now, dip some out and take it to the host. And the host makes the exclamation that you heard. This is the best wine we've ever had. Like, you don't do this. You do it normally, you give, you give the cheap stuff now. But this is the best stuff. Like, this is the stuff people go out of their way to get and to store away and to hold on to a special occasion. You don't serve it halfway through a wedding where people have already been engaging. No, you brought the best for last, and that doesn't happen. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus uses a ritual, a a tradition, that the Jewish people would have held on to as a way of saying, I'm going to purify myself. And yet Jesus is speaking into this moment of, no, no, see, your purification, you trying to purify yourself, it doesn't work. You need something better. And now something, someone better is here. And Jesus is stepping in to his moment. This idea of the water jars is that maybe uh, had come to, to fill what was empty, that the content of these empty religious rituals, the the jars help visualize Jesus saying, no, there's something better here. Remember what John said in chapter one? For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus. Something better. If indeed God is at work in the world in unprecedented ways, and Jesus' appearance among us ultimately alters the value of all religious ritual expression. This is the message John will come back to over and over and over again. These old jars are being filled with new content. The old wineskins are being replaced with new. Something, someone better is here water into wine, something empty now filled. Wine recalls the many prophetic words of the day of the Lord that the Old Testament prophets would write about, as Hosea and Amos would write about this idea of the day of the Lord would be this abundance of wine, of flowing and available to people. Therefore, these vessels of purification, these old stone chars are no longer useful for what they were set up to be. 
They've been changed and brought into something else. Religious vessels and traditions and rituals must now find their home and their culmination in the revelation of the Messiah, the Son of God, of Jesus, our Savior. He is now the cornerstone of all religious activity, attention, and devotion. There's no need for anything else. It's all about him. That's what John's writing. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, he writes, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he's the revealer of God to us. He's the explainer. Something better is here. That's the amazing part of the story. 120, imagine, or 180 gallons of water that's instantly turned into wine. And not just ho-hum wine, but the good wine, the good stuff. That the host says, this is amazing. His presence, his power transforms everything. I don't know if you've ever seen this meme that's gone around for a while that Jesus was here. It's a sign that says water and it's all wine underneath it. I just think that's awesome. That's the moment. Modern day, that's what we're picturing of what's happening in this moment. The master of ceremonies tasted the water that's now wine, not knowing where it came from. And he said, he called them over. Usually, you, you give out the good stuff first, then you save the cheap stuff for later, but you've brought the best stuff out now. When the emergency happened, the best stuff showed up. This is the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And what's the last phrase of this? And his disciples believed in him. The transformation happened. And they weren't caught up in the water to wine. That's pretty nice. It's an awesome miracle. It's a great sign. But they were captivated by the one who did it. And they began to believe in him. Jesus, you are more. Like, I couldn't do that. The disciples saw Jesus do something they could not do on their own, and their faith grew. That's what we're invited to seek. Asking Jesus to do within us and with us and for us only what he can do that we can't do on our own. Here, here's one of the takeaways I had this week studying through this. Jesus always shows up where he's invited. He just does. Jesus always shows up where he's invited. And when his power and his presence show up, things change. Transformation happens. And so friends, have you thought that so easy our faith journey can get limited to a Sunday thing instead of it being an everyday, every hour kind of life thing? For some of you, you're struggling in finances. And it's been a struggle maybe for a long time for you. And you've been trying to get your arms around it. You're trying to solve things and you're thinking out and you're making plans and all of that is great. But have you invited Jesus into it? For some of you, you got torn and broken relationships and you're trying to do the, the hard work of, of self-examination and trying to, to work on being a healthy you and trying to bring health into the situation, trying to listen and learn and forgive. And all of that is good stuff. But have you invited Jesus into it? For some of us, we have families that are, are breaking. And we may try in all of our effort and all of our energy to do healthy things to help repair it and to restore it. But friend, have you invited Jesus into it? 
It's so easy sometimes to go, Jesus is a Sunday thing and everything else is on me. Instead of saying, no, no, Jesus shows up wherever he's invited. And so Jesus, I'm just gonna invite you into my relationships, into my family, into my workplace, the relationships I have with my coworkers that are strained. I need your presence and your power to show up here. And I don't even know what I'm asking for. I just want you invited. Because when you're around, I can ask you. And when you're around, you just change things. And when shame and the shadow of the story begins to fall on me and I'm embarrassed and everything that seems to be crumbling around, you have a way of making it even better than what people expected. Because Jesus always shows up where he's invited. And so the challenge, the invitation for us is to say, as a disciple, you are a person that is continually inviting Jesus to show up and have sway in all areas of your life. It's all open to him. And you're asking him to be there because we're seeing when he shows up, when he gets involved, when his presence and his power is there, it's transforming things. His divine activity does something that my individual ability cannot do on its own. And that's what I need. I need his divine activity to be active in my life. I don't need to just depend on my own individual ability. And so into those moments... Have you invited him? What would it look like for you and for me, for us, to invite him more and more into all those areas of life that we struggle with? Sometimes we need his activity, his presence, and his power, and it meets us in surprising ways. Sometimes it's in the good moments of life, and he just blesses and surprises us even more. Sometimes it's in those challenging moments those moments of struggle and doubt where we're trying everything in our own and yet into that moment when we invite him, he surprises and he blesses and he, and he shows up in ways. A few weeks ago, reading through Facebook and, and uh, tried to keep tabs on most of you and I came across a story of a, a friend of ours and uh, just listening to what she wrote and how God was moving in her God story that moment, I, I remember calling and, and Facebook messaging to me like, hey, w- would you share that with your friends here? Because I, I think it would bless them. And so I would love to have Delaney come and share a little bit of her God story, what God's doing and how this passage ministered to her. So Delaney, thanks for being willing to share your story. Thank you very much. Um, So I'm Delaney. Um, Just kind of a little background. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2010. Sorry, I'm already getting emotional. Um, When I was diagnosed, um, I didn't didn't really think much of it, to be honest with you. It was kind of one of those things that you receive the news, you know you have to change things, and you just move on. It didn't hit me until about two weeks ago. Um, I went to um, place an order for my medical supplies. I use an insulin pump. And um, our insurance was about to change over, so I knew I needed to to get my stock of supplies ordered. Um, And when they ended up coming in, I opened up the box, and it was completely wrong, (laughs) Um, naturally, with 
these companies. Um, they shorted me two months of my supplies and I just immediately felt panic, like strike over my body. Um, and it's one of those things where it hit me. Um, it's not one of those things where you order a pair of shoes and it's the wrong size and you can just take it back or you order the wrong makeup and it's the wrong shade. Um, it's not a cold that I'm just going to get over in a week. It's something I have to live with for the rest of my life. Um, and I immediately felt angry. I felt angry and terrified and scared, um, not knowing if I was going to have the supplies that I needed to stay alive, um, which was a little dramatic at the time. Um, and my husband was trying to encourage me through through the time, and I just wasn't able to receive it. And so I went and I sat in our staircase just crying. <laughs> and um, I was just staring at the order form and so confused how they could make so many mistakes and cost me the safety of my life. And then... Um, as I was sitting there, I realized these medical companies, these suppliers, they don't have my health in their hands. My God does. <laughs> Amen. And um, so I went to bed, and you know I was still not completely settled, but I was at a little bit more peace. And I woke up the next morning ready to make the phone calls and fight these companies for the supplies that I needed. Um, and I got on the phone and it was just complete ease, which is the complete opposite of the interactions I've had before. Um, immediately apologizing for the mistake and that they were gonna get it sent out right away. And on the phone, I just start crying to this poor lady, um, just saying thank you and explaining my story. Um, and at the time, I just started reading through John, and so after I got off the phone with her, I went and sat down and picked up where I had left off, which was John 2, um, and then I started crying again, um, because, you know, obviously, as Jax just told us, he saw my need, and he filled it, um, and then I ended up walking up to my mailbox, and there was another package in there of medical supplies, which previously they told me they would only give me three boxes of the testing strips that I needed um, when I needed seven. And I took the package back into our kitchen and I opened it up and there were seven boxes, even though they said they were only going to give me three. <laughs> um, and so then more tears were coming down my face. And it was just this beautiful reminder that he exceeded my need. He exceeded um, what I had even hoped for. Um, and went above and beyond. And it was just this beautiful moment of knowing that I don't have to fight anymore. He's fought for me and he's already won the victory. And I want to encourage you to know that whatever you're going through in your life right now, whether it be small bumps in the road or big bumps or joyous things, he's already won your struggle. Um, the cool thing is it continued on as I shared with you on the phone. Um, that I ended up going into work that day, and I'm a physical therapist assistant, so I was sharing a little bit of my story with a patient who I had discovered that day. She was also diabetic, and just sharing a little bit of my God moment with her, and um, she ended up saying, well, I have a bunch of supplies, 
if you want them. And um, so God supplied even more supplies than I could have imagined. So it was just one of those things that you can't deny God's power in it. And I was so excited to share it. His divine activity does something that our individual ability cannot produce on its own. And so invite him. Invite him into all those areas that you're struggling, all the areas that you need wisdom, all the areas that you need his attention and his activity in. And we pray that you'd have your own God stories over and over and over again, that where you're empty, Jesus would just fill you up. Because something, someone, better is here. And so Jesus, thank you for Delaney and for her story and the way that you met her and surprised her. I pray that you would multiply that out to every individual here, everyone that listens online. God, that you would surprise them with your divine activity that goes well beyond and way past whatever individual ability we can try to do. And and we can work and we should. But God, your work is so much better. And Jesus, we see in this story that that the culmination of all religious ritual and tradition finds its place in the cornerstone of our faith. It's you, Jesus. And so would you help us to have the courage to invite you in to every area that we need, your wisdom, your attention, your insight, your activity to be loosed in a way to do something that we cannot do on our own. And so as we come to a moment of remembering in communion, maybe sitting and just reflecting about what you want to say to us, how you want to move in our hearts. We thank you for, Jesus, your life, your teaching, your miracles, the signs that you did that we may believe in you. We thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection even more importantly. That you are truly Emmanuel, God with us. You're for us. You're a God who surprises. And when we're at our weakest moment of maybe embarrassment or shame or the shadows of life are coming over us and we don't know what to do, if we just ask, you love to step into moments like that. And so as we take communion, as we sing here in a moment, we want our heart's affection and attention to be on you to thank you for who you are and to ask you again, to invite you again, to show up, to be with, to surprise.